How are you guys? Oh, I'm amazing, man. My motorcycle's out of the shop. That makes me happy. <laughs> I'm back on two wheels. So, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Jeremiah 11. So join me there, and we will uh, discover what it is that the Lord has for us this evening. As we've been working our way through Jeremiah, just by way of reminder, <clears throat> we began with the call of Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah was called from the womb, so God had a plan and a purpose for him uh, from the moment that he was born. And immediately after his calling, Jeremiah moves into not necessarily a chronological series of events, that's not how Jeremiah is written, but he moves into a series of prophecies that kind of focus in on particular areas. First he began dealing with consequences of what was going on in Judah and Jerusalem. So we're going to be basically talking about those consequences till chapter 25. And as we work our way through those, they've been focused in three areas. The first one was the extent of their sin. So if you remember when we were talking about the extent of the sin of Judah and Jerusalem, we talked about the fact that they had forgotten the Lord. They had failed to repent. Their hearts were filled with wickedness. They had forsaken the Lord and they were buying into a false peace. Right? They were saying peace, peace when there is no peace. So, so this is the extent of their sin. Then the, la- the next several chapters from 7 to 10... We focused in on what were the effects of their um, false religious views. See, having a, I don't know, everybody would call their own theological worldview orthodox. Orthodox just means, it's like a word for normal. It's like, what does normal mean? Normal means, so this orthodox by history, you know, there's a view of what's orthodox. But the concept of if they were, they were not holding fast to the traditions of the fathers. They were falling into a false system. They were bringing other things into worship, remember? They had other idols set around the temple. They were praying to other gods on their way in to give their sacrifices at the temple. And there were results of that. The results of that false religious system that they had is they had trust in their idols. They had trust in their buildings. They had begin to turn their heart from God toward a pagan practices. They were no longer listening to the prophets. It's interesting because these same things are going to be brought up in in Second uh, um, Timothy. Paul's going to talk about the days will come when they will not abide for the truth of what God's word says. But men will heap up for themselves teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. See, when we think about leadership, uh, maybe we, we consider our nation, and we think about our president and the things he does and the decisions he makes, we also ought to consider the leadership that he puts around him. Because those are the guys who have his ear, right? They're the ones who are feeding ideas or concepts, talking to him about things. And whenever you develop a team like that, you want to put people who won't tell you what you want to hear, but who will tell you the truth, right? Isn't that what we want? But there comes a time where people don't want the truth no more. Just They, they just surround themselves with people that tell them how great they are. Or how every, every choice you make is right. And you get detached from reality, what's happening in the real world, and you actually believe to 
or begin to believe your own press. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> so the same thing's going on. They're not listening to the prophets. They don't want to hear the word of God because the word of God will tell them the truth. And at some point, we see it in leadership always accomplishes the same thing, especially when we talk, we have a biblical worldview of the world leaders, right? When we look at world leaders, there's the same progression every time. Daniel told us about it, right? The head of gold, chest of silver, right? We always have the governments of man degrading, not not moving upward. They are going to degrade until who? The Bible tells us, right? Daniel said it's going to degrade and degrade and degrade and degrade. The last thing you have is iron mixed with clay. Remember? That's not, nobody does that. Nobody says, you know, I'm going to build a giant building made out of iron mixed with clay. Nobody does that. Because we all know that those things don't adhere, right? That's not going to be strong. But what happens to all these kingdoms of men? What's the end of the vision? A rock, not cut out by hands, comes from the heavens, hits the statue at the feet, grinds it to dust, and then becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. And that whole vision, a mountain is a picture of a kingdom. Now whose kingdom will come and never end? Jesus' kingdom. So we're going to struggle the concept of leadership and how that should be done. That's mankind's state. We've done it from the beginning of time. If you study history, your history is going to be the study of great civilizations that did incredible things, crumbled, and fell. And it, to be replaced by another civilization that became great and then crumbled and fell. How many times have we seen that? Over, over, over. Because unless man will rule through the truth of God's word, he won't rule long. That's what's happening in Judah. Judah at the time of Jeremiah, we're going to talk about it again tonight, but at the time of Jeremiah, just at his beginning when he was a young man, they went through a revival. Everybody got excited about the Lord and wanted to hear the word of the Lord. And then within a generation that all faded and nobody wants to hear the prophets anymore. They don't want to hear whatever it is that God's word is laying out. So we discuss these things, that it's all part of a false religious system that they, they develop because in their worldview, and the way they live their lives, that's why worldview is important, in the way they live their lives, they were not anchored to the truth. So lip service is easy to do, but you won't sustain lip service. Lip service never lasts. Within a generation, it passes away. They're trying to find peace, but they're not trying to find peace with God. And that's a vital concept. You want to have peace? If you want peace on earth, the first place you start, the scripture tells us that we are at enmity with God. We are at war with God. So we need to make peace with God. How do we make peace with God? Through Jesus Christ, right? He is our propitiation. He is our sin sacrifice. He is that which, the mediator, right, between the two parties, man and God, man who has offended the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, is, gives us that, and enables us to, to meet that need. Now, the idea of finding peace any other way, we can all, you know, one of the, one of the favorite uh, catchphrases today, right, is running around tolerance, 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 but are they tolerant? No, basically the tolerance movement is I'm tolerant as long as you agree with me. If you don't agree with me, I'm no longer tolerant. That, by the way, is not tolerance. But the idea, right, trying to find peace through something other than God and then 
just telling lies. Lie after lie after lie after lie. That don't mark our world today. But so many lies out there. People don't even... I mean, we all talk about, right, how quickly a lie can spring to our own mouth. It's just amazing how every part of society we have this struggle holding on to the truth. And their desire in Judah was to reach out to anything that was false God. There's a lot of things. I watch a lot of different things on YouTube. I have an eclectic, uh, I don't know what the next word is, issue. So I like a lot of weird things. I like I watch a lot of I like I watch people who don't agree with me. I watch people who do agree with me, especially if I can just have here like a you know not a bunch of rhetoric, but just a, a, a real argument about whatever. And so I'll listen to a variety of different a different shows, different things. And when I do, I'm always amazed at how they'll they they are able to mix in any false religious system and be okay with it. The other day it was it was Taoism. So they were going through uh, um, the tenets of Taoism and talking about how important those are to apply to life. And I'm listening to them as they do, and I think, man, these guys would never do this with the Bible. But the same thing was going on in Judah. And we'll find, we'll we'll talk about Baal, we'll talk about Ashereth, we'll talk about any false god or system or religious ideals, but we don't want to have anything to do with the Lord. We don't have anything to do with the truth. So tonight when we look at Jeremiah chapter 11, we move into the third part of the division. And this is next several chapters through about chapter 15. There's going to be exhortations to obedience. So obedience is a thing. (laughs) Right? We get that? Obedience is a thing. God is looking for obedience. And we're going to talk tonight about where the people gave the lip service that said, Yes, Lord, we will do this. Nobody hold a gun to them. They chose, Yes, Lord, we will do this. And now God is saying, what, where's, Where is the fulfillment of your promise to me? God kept his part of the bargain, right? They're in the promised land. They're, they're there where God promised that they could go. So we're going to look at Second Chronicles 34. So keep your finger in Jeremiah 11. Just as the background. You remember we talked about this a little bit. It says, Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Now this is Josiah. Hilkiah was the name of Jeremiah's father. The Bible never tells us this is Jeremiah's father. It would be interesting for sure if it is, but he certainly is the same time frame as Jeremiah. Jeremiah and Josiah were friends. Remember Jeremiah sang at Josiah's funeral. So these were, they were contemporaries. So Hilkiah, the priest, finds the book of the law. Shaphan reads it before the king. The king hears the words of the law and tears his clothes. <coughs> the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikim, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the, the secretary, and Asaiah, the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for those who are left in Israel and in Judah, concerning the words of the book that has been found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that has poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept our promise. Our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that's written in the book. So he hears the book. 
He says, man, we didn't keep our promise. We made a promise to God and we didn't do it. So Josiah tears his, his uh, clothes and he tells the people to consult the Lord and say, basically, is it too late? What, what do we need to do? So Hilkiah, those whom the king had sent to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokath, son of uh, Hasra, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, spoke to her to that effect. And she said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the curses that are written in the book that was read before the king of Judah. Because they have forsaken me. Isn't this the same thing we've been talking about in Jeremiah? Because they have forsaken me. They have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger. With all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire the Lord. Thus you will say. Thus says the Lord the God of Israel regarding the words that you have heard. Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard the words against this place and its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes will not see the disaster that's coming. So God tells Josiah, it's not going to come in your lifetime. Now some guys would just say, oh, cool. Right? Then I'm good. So he tells them, it's not going to come. It's not going to come in your time. You're going to go to your grave in peace. So they brought back word to the king. And the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the Levites, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found. So now the same thing the king heard, he, he delivers to the people. He reads it all out to them. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, with all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel. He made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days he did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of his fathers. So Josiah is like, man, we're messed up. Now think about this in terms of what Jesus said about the man who is justified before God. He said, one man comes to pray and he says, Lord, I thank you, I'm not like that guy. And the other guy comes and says, beats his breast and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Isn't that what the king just did? He tore his clothes, Lord, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. We messed up. And so the Lord honors that, right? When a man humbles himself before the Lord, what does the scripture say? The, The scripture tells that the Lord will lift him up. So the requirement is that we humble ourselves before our God and that God will forgive, God will justify, and we can enter into that right relationship with him. So Jeremiah 11 begins with this phrase. Jeremiah 11 verse 1, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Hear the words of this covenant and speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. 
and say to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Cursed be the man who will not hear the words of this covenant that I commanded your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Listen to my voice and do what I command you. So shall you be my people, and I will be your God, that I may confirm the oath that I swore to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, as it is this day. And Jeremiah said, Amen. So be it. May it be as you have spoken. So God is reminding the people of this covenant, of the issue. Now, the first time we see this covenant, it's interesting because when you look at the time of Josiah, those people are 600-ish years removed from Exodus. So it's not like any of them remember the wilderness. You get what I'm saying? They're, they're far removed and they keep being reminded. Remember I took you out of Exodus and they're like, uh, you know, that was my great, 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 great grandpa. That's, that, that wasn't me. So this generation is <clears throat> being reminded that God has provided something for them. Just as today this generation is reminded over and over again about something that Jesus Christ has provided for us. Yeah. 2,000 years ago, he provided his life on the cross that we might be justified, that we might enter into a right relationship with God, that we might then keep the covenant. What's our covenant to God? The same as theirs was. The Lord says, if you're going to follow me, then follow me. Do the things I say. If you say you follow me and you don't do the things I say, Everything in the Bible would say, you're not following him. You, you get what I'm saying? So the idea, we see this concept taught to us in the book of Proverbs. Two paths, right? Life and death. Wisdom and folly. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The wise man, he hears Lady Wisdom calling and follows Lady Wisdom. The fool, he hears the immoral woman and he follows her to his death. Two paths, life and death. If you're following the path of life, then you're following Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom is a picture of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ comes and says the same thing. What's the first thing he says to his disciples? Come, follow me. So we're, we want to follow the Lord. We want to follow the things that God has laid out for us. In Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 5, it says, Now therefore... If you, this is the Lord speaking, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, keep my promise. We're making a deal, you and me. God said to the children of Israel, our deal is I'll take you, I've taken you, already taken you out of Egypt. I'm going to take you into a promised land. I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to move you into a place that will be a blessing for you. And all those who bless you will be blessed and all those who curse you will be cursed. If you will follow me. If you than I. This is the covenant that the Lord's laying out for them. So he says, you will be a treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. <laughs> you shall uh, be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We've talked about that. These are the words that you will speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came, called the elders of the people, set before them all the words that the Lord had said, and all the people answered and said, what's the next phrase? All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That's making covenant. But the closest picture we have to that nowadays is marriage. 
And that's why God uses a marriage relationship to speak about the ideas, the concepts of a faithful covenant. Because in a marriage relationship, we say words, right? To one another. We make promises. We say, right? Like, till death do we part or... Or, you know, or maybe if you wrote your own vows, you made promises. You made, well, the whole wedding ceremony is built around making promises to one another before God and the people. And then the rest of our life is supposed to be keeping those promises, right? So the same way here. The relationship with the Lord is the same way. It's about being faithful to God. Listen to my voice, he said. Do all that I command you and you will be my people. Follow me. Follow me. Now again, I want to emphasize this is not about perfect performance. It's about the willingness to follow God. Those are two different things. Perfect performance is an opportunity for you to be filled with pride at how well you do. But the reality is most of us in our following of the Lord are going to stumble and fall. According to Proverbs, a righteous man stumbles seven times and rises again. So there's going to be falling, but we're going to live our lives in fulfillment of the covenant to God by saying, I'm, when I fall, I'm going to confess, repent, and get up. Right? I'm going to confess, repent. I'm not going to stop doing that. I'm not going to pretend like none of that's necessary. I want to stay where I was. Where King Josiah was, it was such a blessing, was a humble man beating his <coughs> excuse me, breast before God and saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's where we want to stay. Following the Lord when we stumble and fall, same thing. And God will be faithful to forgive. Yes? This is how we, this is how we walk with the Lord. But the people, they don't want to do it. In verse 6, Jeremiah 11, the Lord goes on. So the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem. Hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I solemnly warned your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, warning them persistently, even to this day, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone walked in the stubbornness of his own evil heart. Therefore I brought upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. So the Lord is laying out, listen, tell all the people. Now I want you to understand what these directions from the Lord are. If you said, hey Jackie, I want to come to your house. And I said, awesome. But I don't know where you live. How do I get there? Well, I'm going to give you directions. And then if you follow those directions, where are you going to get? You're going to make it to my house. What if you don't want to follow those directions? What if you just want to find your own way? Well, you may not make it to my house. Does that make sense? So the people are saying, Lord, we want to come to your house. And God's saying, well, let me give you directions to my house. And then the people don't follow those directions. And God says, look, the road you're on doesn't lead to my house. <coughs> the, lo- the road you're on leads to destruction. You've chosen that road. The whole time you've been walking on that road, I've been calling you. Hey, where are you? Yeah, that's not the road that comes to my house. You've got to turn around. Okay, yeah. I'll turn around. Then you hang up and keep going. And the next time I call, you're in Illinois. I'm like, yeah, Illinois is not Idaho. You're not in the right place no more. You got to turn around. You guys get the concept? 
And so God is telling the people over and over and over again, turn around, turn around, turn around. Listen to what I'm telling you. And the people are trying to do their own thing. And then it's all just lip service. Right? It's like standing before somebody and saying, hey, follow me. And then you walk a little ways and you turn around and they're not there. But where'd you go? I'm following you. But you ain't following me. I'm looking behind me right now. I cannot see you no place. Well, I had to go do this and go do that and go. You get what I'm saying? So this is, this is the, the fall of Judah. Saying with their mouth, we are going to follow the Lord. And by their actions, not following the Lord at all. And now, judgment day has come. They, they have arrived at the destination they've been walking toward for the last couple hundred years. And God is saying, hey, the, the bad guys are on their way. That This is where this road led. When he stood before the children of Israel in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, he, he put, remember the priests on two mountains? And he said, he gave them the blessings and the cursings. Blessings if you follow me and cursings if you don't. If you follow me, blessing. If you don't follow me, curse. So you, you pick the road. <coughs> you can't be angry about the destination you arrive at. I got on a plane going to Hawaii, and you know what happened? It went to Hawaii. That's crazy. I really wanted to go to Chicago. Why'd you get on a plane going to Hawaii? That don't make no sense. But that's how people do their relationship with God. They give lift service, but they don't want to follow him. The book of Proverbs is full of what does following God look like? It looks like taking the path of wisdom. It looks like hearing his word, listening to his words, and being obedient to, to what he says. Following his directions. So we want to do those things. <clears throat> we want to follow him. But listen, he says, the attitude of the people, they were, they were not good because the Lord warned and they didn't do anything. Hey, you're going the wrong way. Hope, oh, thanks. And you just keep going. So you obviously don't believe I'm telling you the truth, right? If you keep going the wrong way. <clears throat> and so the people only wanted to walk in the stubbornness of their own evil heart. Have, has that ever been you? I know that's been me. I know that I have chosen to walk in the stubbornness of my own heart, knowing that the way I'm walking is not what God wants. And when I get to the end of that road, and I meet whatever disaster is awaiting on that road, then, you know, that's, those were the choices I made following the stubbornness of my own evil heart. Anywhere along the path, I could change my direction, right? Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Turn around and go where he's telling me to go. So if we follow the stubbornness of our own evil heart, we will end in destruction. So... You have officially been warned. The United States of America is going to go to destruction. And we're not going to be saved by a Republican president for another four years. Or a Republican-led Congress for the years after that. That's not going to save us. What's going to save us is repentance. Repentance. This is what this nation needs. This nation needs to repent. Fall on her knees like King Josiah beat her breast and say Lord have mercy on me a sinner call upon the name of the Lord and what the scripture tell us will take place but well, you will be saved 
you will be saved. Again, the Lord said to me, Jeremiah eleven nine, a conspiracy, <coughs> a conspiracy exists among the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to the iniquities of their fathers. So Josiah led revival, right? Now he was the guy in charge, so he could command the people. Thou shalt do what I say. And that's what he did. Right? And every father knows the truth of this. Every father who chooses to lead his family spiritually can command obedience from his children. Yes? And you can get your children to obey your words pretty well to your face. But that doesn't put it in their heart. And then one day, our children leave. Yes? Mine did. One day our children grow up and they start to make their own decisions. And you know whether or not the seeds you planted took root or not. Now their relationship becomes their relationship. They've got to pursue God. Yes? They've got to pursue that. I can't command them to have a relationship. They have to choose that relationship. They've got to bow their knee and accept that relationship. But that doesn't mean that as the leader I'm not supposed to say, yeah, this is how this works. Josiah did right. The Bible says he did right in the eyes of the Lord. He commanded the people to follow and to obey. But as soon as Josiah was gone, the people went back to their old ways. Right? They went back to, to the lies. Right? Because, again, Proverbs, you have two women calling. Lady Wisdom. Maybe, maybe she's beautiful. Maybe she's not. I don't know what Lady Wisdom looks like. I know what the immoral woman looks like. And everything that the immoral woman says, people want. Everything she says. They want the party. They want the, the wild lifestyle. They want sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They want everything she says. So Jesus, when he came, he, he gave us another illustration. He said there were two paths. Right? Just like Proverbs said. He said one way is narrow. And there's not very many who find it. And the other way is broad. And there are a lot of people who find that. Why? Because everybody wants that message. I want that. That's what I want. Proverbs says a young man was walking down the street. He saw an immoral woman. She bats her eyes at him. He turns and follows her. And he did not know it would cost him his life. Because the following God leads to life. And following anything else leads to death. It is the path of death. It is a path of destruction. So they turn to this path. They refuse to hear my words. That's what the Lord said. They refuse to hear me. People say all the time, God doesn't talk to me. You no, know, God talks all the time. You don't listen. Lord's always speaking. Now, there was a time in my life I might have said, God doesn't talk to me. But now, as an old man looking back, the Lord said a lot of things during that time. I have my fingers in my ears, and I was going, la, 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 la. I can't hear you. Like a spoiled child, right? So we want to recognize. We want to understand. We want to have ears to hear God's word. You want to hear God's word, you can hear it. 24-7. You can hear what God has to say anytime you want to. In fact, he wrote them all down. 
sits in your lap on your nightstand. You want to know what God says? Turn over, open the book, and read. God is speaking. Are you listening? He says, the people won't listen. They have gone after other gods. They've gone after other gods. A lot of other gods, right? There's false gods, there's fallen angels, there's demons, and there's self. And more people follow the last one than any of the others. More people follow self than anything else. The house of Israel, the house of Judah, have broken my covenant. They have broken their promise. They are an unfaithful wife. Ezekiel 16 is all about that. They are an unfaithful wife. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am bringing disaster upon them that they cannot escape. So exile's coming, and there's nothing going to stop exile. Please understand, exile was not death. Exile was not death. Death is what they chose rather than exile. Do you understand that's the exact same thing they do in Revelation? In Revelation, when the judgments are falling upon the earth, the people cry out, We will not have this to rule over us. And still, they would not repent. People choose death rather than to follow the Lord. They choose death. They, they cry out for that. Exile's coming. All the people had to do was pack. He's already told them, hey, they're coming down. They're going to take all your stuff. So you don't have to pack everything. Just a little bag. When they come, just accept the, the punishment and live. We'll read that in Jeremiah 29. Just accept the punishment and live. You don't have to die. Nobody has to die. But that this is what they're going to choose as they continue to reject God's purpose and plan for their life. So he says, though they cry to me, I will not listen. That's got to be a rough place to be, right? Where God says, if you cry to me, I'm not listening. Don't cry. Don't cry. This is <coughs> where you wanted to go. The cities of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will go and cry to their other gods to whom they make offerings. But they cannot save them in their time of trouble. Even the demonic gods that are real living entities, they can't help you. Because there is only one Yahweh. There may be power in other names of other demons, of other black, dark, wicked worship. Sure, there may be power, but they can't save you. You remember Pharaoh? Moses comes to Pharaoh and he turns the water to blood and Pharaoh looks over at his two magicians. Yeah? And he says, can you guys do that? And what could they do? They could make it worse. They could not make it better. They could not overturn what God had done. There's no power there. They could just make what water you have more blood. Hey, awesome. That was great. We might have wanted that for something to drink later. Right? And then there came a point where the magicians say what? We can't do this because this is the finger of God. Yeah, we can't do this. 
We can't do this. This is, this is God. These are God's decisions. These things are happening. There may be power in, in other places. I'm not saying there's no power in the darkness. There's no power to save. There's no power to deliver. This is what the Lord is saying. These other gods can't help you. <clears throat> o Judah and as many of the streets of Jerusalem are the altars you have set up to your shame. Altars to make offerings to Baal. Therefore, he says to Jeremiah, Do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer on their behalf. For I will not listen when they call to me in their time of trouble. What right, listen to this, the, the words of a husband with a broken heart. Listen to it. What right has my beloved in my house when she has done many vile deeds? What right? Now, I want you to notice what he called her still. He called her my what? Beloved. Does it mean God doesn't love them? No. Still his beloved. But she is unfaithful. She has turned to other lovers. Read the book of Hosea. She has turned to others. So, so what right? Does she have the right to expect me to bail her out? Now in our world, you would say no. Wouldn't you? And there's enough of us in here. I'm sure there's several people here who, who have had other marriages, other experiences, other broken covenants in their life. And the idea here is, what right does the person who broke the covenant have to expect me to save them? And the answer is, none. You have no right. That's why scripture calls it grace. For by grace you have been saved. It's not your right. You, you, don't, you didn't earn it. It is the gift of God, right? It is something that God provides. Listen to how he describes her. Can even sacrificial flesh avert your doom? If you bring me a sacrifice, will that change my heart? Will you then exult? Will you then have victory over the enemies? The Lord once called you, listen to this, a green olive tree, beautiful with good fruit. But with the roar of a great tempest, he will set fire to it and the branches will be consumed. You were a green olive tree once, but now you are dried and withered. And a dried and withered tree gets burned. The Lord of hosts who planted you has decreed disaster. So this disaster that's coming was the result of the road you chose, but God has decreed the time. This is the time. It is coming. It will not go any other way. Why? Because of the evil that the house of Israel and the house of Judah have done, provoking me to anger by making offerings to Baal. It's no different than if you change that sentence to say, this is the evil that they have done because they, instead of coming home to me, went and slept with Baal. And they keep doing it over and over and over. Yeah, it's... God's saying, no, this, this doesn't happen. Jeremiah, don't pray for the people. Now that's how that <clears throat> prophecy ends. Then you get the little taste of the result. What happens to you when you bring the word of the Lord to a world that's like this? Who's unfaithful to God? What happens to you? Jeremiah eleven eighteen. The Lord made it known to me and I knew. 
Then they showed me their deeds. So God showed Jeremiah something that was going to happen to him. It doesn't tell us what it is. We just get a little insight into some of the suffering of Jeremiah for being a faithful man to deliver God's word. Verse 19, he says, I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not know it was against me, they devised schemes, saying, Let us destroy the tree and its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. So people were getting tired of hearing Jeremiah. You know, it's always doom and gloom of you, Jeremiah. How come you never tell us something good? Well, maybe sometimes there ain't nothing good to say. Do you ever think of that? Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's just bad news. It's all right. The Bible says that a wise man in Proverbs receives correction. A fool doesn't learn from a lash. A fool doesn't learn. A fool won't receive correction. A fool will keep doing the wrong thing over and over and over again because he has said in his heart, what? There is no God. But the wise man, he's following Lady Wisdom, right? So he receives correction. Sometimes the news is bad. Sometimes it's bad news. They didn't want to hear Jeremiah's word no more. So they're like, look, we're going to get this done. We're just going to kill him. Who do you think these bad guys were? We're going to find out in a minute. Jeremiah, in verse 20, says, But, O Lord of hosts, who judges righteously and tests the hearts and the mind? Let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. So God said, Jeremiah, the guys are coming against you. Jeremiah, so Jeremiah knows people are coming against him. Maybe he doesn't know exactly who they are. That's why he's led as a a lamb to the slaughter. He's like, I didn't know it was these guys. But here they are, doing their thing. They want to kill me because they want to stop the word of God from going out. Anytime, and all of us are called to ministry, by the way, we have, we've talked about this before, the idea that we think the word minister is a fancy word. It just means slave. We're all called to slavery. We're all called to serve. We're all called to serve someone in particular. And you're not called to serve me. You're called to serve God. That's what it is. We minister to God. When we worship, we're not worshiping for one another. We're not worshiping for our neighbor, the person behind us. We are worshiping and honoring God in our, with our voices, with our eyes lifted or our eyes closed, standing or seated or clapping or hands raised. doesn't make any difference. We're honoring God. We're providing Him worship, right? We're showing Him His worthiness. We are ministering to God. That's what this is supposed to be about. So when we minister, when we come to minister, and we minister to God, and you're faithful to God, the question you will ask yourself over and over again, or the thing that you should ask yourself over and over again, is what's it going to take for you to quit? In 25 years of doing this, I have seen a lot of people quit. Quitting is easy. There's nothing hard about quitting. At all. All your problems go away when you quit. But enduring. Will you endure? God showed Jeremiah. It's going to be suffering coming. Jeremiah maybe doesn't know by the hands of who. But he knows suffering's coming. When God called Paul, what did he say to Paul? He told Ananias. Ananias said, Lord, are you sure I should go pray for this guy? He's killed a lot of Christians. 
God says, you go and open his eyes, for I must show him all the things he will suffer for my name's sake. What will make you quit? First time somebody doesn't treat you like you think you ought to be treated? Or somebody hollers at you in the hallway? Or somebody accuses you of something you didn't do? Well, that's, those, all those experiences are common to man. And if that's what it will take for you to quit, then you'll give up. You won't be a Jeremiah or a Daniel or a Paul. So you have to ask yourself, what's going to make me quit? And when those bad things happen, and they happen in my life too, I have sat down and looked at letters or emails and read them and have my heart break and then say, is this going to make you quit? Is this the one that's going to make you stop? Or will you continue to be faithful to share God's word? That's all our job, not just mine. That's what we, that's what we all do. It's what we all choose to be a part of. So Jeremiah says, I'm going to give myself to your hands, God. You're the righteous judge. If these guys are supposed to kill me, then so be it. And then he, asks, he adds at the end, I'd like to see your vengeance on them. Right? So even if they kill me, you know, if I can get a ringside seat in heaven to watch you zap them for what they've done, that would be kind of cool. So Jeremiah, <coughs> he wants God's justice to prevail. But he trusts God, right? He says, I trust you. You judge right. If it's my time, it's my time. It's okay. You, you're the right judge. Now listen to verse 21. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth. Now here's what you might have forgotten. Anathoth is Jeremiah's hometown. This is Jeremiah's friends. This is Jeremiah's family. These are the people he grew up with that were the ones who said, we're going to get you to stop. They seek your life. They say, do not prophesy in the name of the Lord or you will die by our hand. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men will die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters, they'll die by famine. And none will be left. For I will bring disaster on the men of Anathoth and the year of their punishment. Now here's the way God works. It's so interesting. And the more you study scripture, the more you'll see it. The judgment that God brings upon the people is to leave the people to their own decisions. You ever done that for a little child? You know, one that won't stop touching what you're telling them not to touch? And then somehow, if you just choose to leave them to their own, they're going to learn. It will be painful. Sometimes it leaves scars, right? Maybe they got burned. Maybe they got hurt. Hopefully they didn't die. God's judgment of the people who want to walk in disobedience to him is to let them get to the end of their road. To stop trying to turn them around. Anybody could have lived. Why did they die by the sword when the enemies from the north came? Because they did what? They chose to fight. When God said, don't fight. But they don't want to listen to Jeremiah anymore. Remember? 
So they're going to die by the sword. What's going to happen to their families? All they have to do to be fed is surrender. But they're not going to surrender, so what will happen to their family? They're going to starve in the famine. They're going to die in the pestilence. Now here's the beautiful thing. I don't want you to miss this. Jeremiah never leaves them. Never. He never says, that's it. I'm done. You, none of you people listen anyway. Nebuchadnezzar offered Jeremiah a palace. Do you know that? He says to Jeremiah, dude, you've been working hard in here trying to get these people to give up. Forget them. You can stay in the palace. You can live in air conditioning to the end of your days. You had air conditioning back then. Right? Somebody fanning you. Somebody feeding you grapes. You can live in ease. I'll take care of you all your life. That's retirement, right? And Jeremiah said, I'm sure he wanted to go. I'm sure he did. I'm like, man, that'd be so cool. I'd like to stop all this fighting all the time. But God told him in the beginning, chapter 1, you have a call from the womb to the tomb. So if you do it, we're going to do it to the end. So Jeremiah stayed with those people and died with them to make sure they never had a day where they didn't have someone telling them the word of the Lord. That's pretty incredible, right? So we see this concept of what what is this all about? What is this? You know, we're going to spend a lot of time in Jeremiah talking about God's judgment. Just keep in mind, God's judgment, while decreed, also is hinging upon the people choosing to disobey him, right? To walk down the road that leads to destruction and then be angry because the plane landed where they bought the ticket for, right? But the cool thing is Jeremiah never quit. What's going to make you quit? going to be lots of opportunity lots of chances to minister to people to get involved in people's lives and when you do it's always going to be messy it's always going to hurt it's always going to be a drag and the next time it comes around the next opportunity for you that comes around just know it's going to hurt it's going to be painful somebody's going to say something bad about you but the real question is what's going to make you quit because ministering involves people getting down in the muck and the mire and the garbage because that's where we live even if you have a nice house. <laughs> if I poke around in your closet, something falls out of it. There's nobody, it doesn't happen. But when we get involved in serving one another, in serving God, in serving one another, there's going to be pain, there's going to be struggle, there's going to be heartache. Jeremiah did it to the end of his day. Just to make sure that the people had a faithful word of the Lord. And the challenge for us is the same. Will you Answer the call. It's easy to quit. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunities we have to open your word, God, to the faithfulness <coughs> that is written on each page, to the challenges that you call us to, Lord, to the to the obedience that it's it's not about how perfectly can I perform every decree that the Bible asks about? The question is, will you follow me? Will you follow me? 
Sometimes the Lord says, I'm not, I'm not that way. Why are you going over there? And if we're honest, most of the time it's because we see a vision of the immoral woman and we want what she offers. But that way doesn't lead to life. So the Lord faithfully calls, come, come, follow me. Sometimes we follow that road so long we think there is no going back. May we be reminded of Josiah after the people had followed the wrong way for well over a couple hundred years. Josiah tore his clothes and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And God said, I will. Because the heart of God is to forgive. The heart of God is to renew. The heart of God is to give you life. But we so often like a spoiled child stomping their feet and crying out for that which will destroy them. Sometimes we want our way. And if you kick hard enough and long enough, judgment is God lets you have what you ask for. So God, I just pray we'd learn. We can turn. We can call upon your name. For though three times, maybe four times in Jeremiah, God's going to say to Jeremiah, stop praying for the people. Why did God have to say it four times? Because Jeremiah wouldn't stop praying for the people. Because he knows the same thing that Jonah knew when Jonah went to Nineveh. If the people will cry out on the name of the Lord, he will forgive them. That's the story of the Old Testament. The story of the Old Testament is not judgment, judgment, judgment. That's the blind coming to the Old Testament. The story of the Old Testament is, I will forgive you if you turn. I will forgive you if you turn. I will forgive you if you turn. That's the story. Mix that with the stubbornness of man following the wickedness of his own heart. And oftentimes you end up with judgment. So Lord God, I just pray we hear your call. We live in a time similar to Jeremiah's time. In a world that doesn't know right from wrong. We, we don't even know biology anymore. We don't know the difference between man and woman. We don't know what's right or wrong. We don't know what's up or down. We don't know what's left or right. We know nothing. And we think we are the wisest people of all time. But the reality is, God, we need to turn. We need to cry out on your name. We need the voice of the prophets to be loud. The voice of men and women willing to share what the word of God says. To share truth to a world that doesn't want truth. To a people who will hate you for it. And then be reminded. God didn't tell me it was my job to save anybody. He just told me, go and tell. Make disciples. Those who turn, you raise them up and equip them and send them out. Until the day we see Jesus' face, this is the business of the church. To be the voice in the wilderness, crying out, make straight paths for the way of the Lord. 
So God, may we be a people faithful to heed your call. Faithful to stand when other people won't. To set aside our fear, to set aside our anxiety, to set aside all those things that make us want to give up and to say, no, I'm not doing any of that. I'm going to stand in the grace that you saved me with. I'm going to walk in the grace that you saved me with. I will minister in the grace that you saved me with. And I will keep going until I see your face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.